Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 178, recorded 18th of January 2023. Today, we welcome Blake Pond, head of No Pins. These are the people who brought you the number pockets you can see in time trial suits, the number belts that triathletes have got with clear pockets and, uh, and a lot, lot more. Um, Blake is a very, very good friend of mine, and it is a real pleasure to have him on the podcast to be able to talk about all the different challenges and groundbreaking moments and even possibly the, the, the future things around the corner to do with uh, to do with Aero. So good morning, mate. How are you? Hey, Joe. Yeah, I'm really good, mate. Thank you. Very well. Good. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much. Yes, good. yes, yes. Um, so as you said before, when we were doing the preamble that you're in no pins right now, so there may be occasional background um, uh, noises as there may be uh, people working, machines going, etc, etc. So firstly, start from you, your, your sort of background, how you got into cycling, endurance sports, etc. And then we'll move on to sort of the, the no pins connection to that. What, what was your sort of background getting into all of this? Uh, well, I've always been around cycling since I was, um, since I was a child, because my, um, my granddad was a very good track rider. Um, and so cycling was always sort of, um, you know, in the family, I should say. I didn't actually ride myself much properly until I was about 16, 17. Um, but yeah, I knew my granddad was a very good rider. Um, and my dad was also a rider and those guys would get, um, uh, light crud up and go out for the, uh, you know, the week, you know, weekend ride and stuff. And, um, yeah, so I, that's how I was sort of first introduced to cycling. Okay. Okay. And what, from your perspective, what, what's the, the best, one of the best moments, one of the best feelings sat in the saddle, punching the air at a finish line? What, what, what do you personally look at and think oh that was that was a that was a really good race or event or time or whatever what what's one of your uh, moments that as part of the you know the cycling evolution that we all go through what what do you kind of always um think back to um there's a few moments i think so like my first ever um race win um obviously that was a big you know a big thing i'd come like close so many times but never actually won um, and I won a, a race down at um, Totnes Criterium, um, and there was, yeah, it was it was a good race to win because it was a town centre crit, so there was lots of crowds. Um, I managed to get in a, um, a solo breakaway with about six or seven laps to go, and held held the uh, held the pack off to the line, and that was my yeah, that was my first win. So obviously that comes to mind as like the punch the air moment, like you said, um, yeah, which is. Long time ago now, but yeah, <laughs> still, still a fond memory. What, what about the, the the time trial area, which we'll obviously move on to because it's very much uh, connected to the early bits of no pins. But, but in, in terms of TTs, um, what's uh, maybe what have you done? But is there anything else you're still left to do and think? Actually, I'd still like to do that if 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 push came to shove. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we were in the preamble, we were talking about, um, like, you know, how, uh, how the, the years sort of uh, slow you down. Um, I think, like, for me now, my, my prime years have, have gone past and, on, you know, unfortunately, I had a few health issues, um, which have, like, affected, 
definitely sort of negatively affected how much um how much power I can generate now even when I'm in my best sort of form um so there, there was definitely things that I left that I, I felt like I could achieve if I hadn't been injured um but from you know from a time trial perspective like standout moments uh had a couple of um top uh, fives at the na nationals uh, like national 50 um and then uh, obviously your pbs are always your um like you know in time trial and your pbs are the things that you sort of stand by so uh, yeah like my 1833 that i did and my uh, 47 uh, minute 25 are like my yeah my i guess my uh, proudest achievements hmm. and so point along that uh, personal riding sort of trajectory career call it what you will at some point you start thinking about drag or perhaps there's other things going on in the sports stratosphere that you're seeing what what was you know what was the the sort of it clearly wasn't a eureka moment but what was the seed that was starting to be sown about you thinking about um what started off as a as a pocket go go into that in detail because you know that's where something that had been done before suddenly germinated or if it had been done before and been done right but you know how did you get to that point um well when you race a lot you um which which i was like from the years sort of like 2005 until uh 2013 2014 you you know every race you go to you you go there you get given your numbers with your your pins and to be honest it's a bit of a ball ache pinning the numbers on um and we're always like you know you start to hear people like moaning about pinning numbers on um and it was like amongst the team we were always like sat around trying to pin each each other's numbers on um, and then when you went to a time trial on your own, you were off trying to find somebody to help you pin your number on or you're trying right. to carefully pin it in the car and then you put your suit on. And the, as soon as you did, the pins all pop out. Um, and yeah, I guess I sort of knew that having the number nice and flat and tight was like sort of akin to having your skin suit on, you know, well. Um, and yeah, I started to think, well, there's got to be a better way of, um, of putting the number on the suit. Um, and that's when the uh, the the idea for the for the number pocket number one it generates uh, you know germinated sorry, um, and I thought you know maybe, maybe I could do something and I uh, sat down one day in the, in the dining room at home and sketched out um, you know what the pocket could look like what it could be um, and I called it no pins um, and yeah that was the original idea and then I actually tucked it away in the in a sock drawer and um, never did anything about it for a couple of years. Okay. So it, 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 it was there when you were thinking about it and probably therefore every time you subsequently put a pin in, you went, yeah, that's, that's still not right. And, and yet I can't remember ever seeing anybody trying it. And okay, it would be easier now for you to see, pictures of something because every time anybody does anything at any race you know you'll see a picture of it whereas I don't ever remember somebody saying oh look this has been this has been um, this has been tried were you aware of anybody actually trying it or or already perhaps even trying and failing to be able to do it um, I think there was various like do you mean as in terms of the pocket I think there was various like people like would spray adhesive a number and try and get it to stick on a bit better 
okay. um, or you know there was things like the, the the magnets where people were trying to like stop ripping holes in their skin suits essentially um, and then other people had like lycra tabs sewn on their suits in an, in in an effort to try and like you know get the number in the right place but then that would end up like a parachute and uh, our, our very own time trial I think we had um, people doing sort of various things like I think um, a guy called Rob Leslie had some some crazy contraption that he used to like strap his number to himself with so yeah I think I think it was people were um, you know were, were thinking pins are a pain and there's got to be a better way of doing it but it, everyone was doing their own sort of Heath Robinson um, you know fix I guess. Yeah, yeah. And that that creates a momentum of not just one person. You look at most things, most most theories, most most things were tried, um and somebody gets it's that critical, oh, this actually is going to work. When did that happen? When did you know the, the passion to put something into a, a sort of call it a pocket scenario and 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 put it on you when when did it click that we've got something here this you know this this actually works and and this you know this is either got eyeballs or it's got people saying i want that where, where was that critical moment in in uh, if you can remember in in a particular time or a date or just a, a a general you know part of a season where you went it's trying to stick yeah, so I think, like I said earlier in the, the podcast, I um, I had the idea drawn up and it was in a sock drawer. Um, and every day, I, it was in one of my training kit drawers, actually. And every time, uh, time I'd go in there to get a set of training socks or whatever, which was daily, I'd see this bit of paper and it said no pins. And I'd think, that is a really good idea. Um, but then, you know, like time went on, I still didn't do anything about it. Um, but then because I'd sown that seed in my head that potentially it was a good idea. When I'd go to a race, I'd be even more like aware of people moaning about pinning on the, the numbers and yeah. pitfalls of, of, of using pins. And, and then I started to like sort of back myself a little bit and think, Do you know what, if I could come up with something that was the right price, um, that, that people, you know, might, you know, might go for it. And there were several reasons, obviously it would be more aerodynamic it would, and it would, uh, protect protect your suit and it wouldn't be so much hassle every time you went for a race um, so with that confidence um, sort of you know starting to brim I, I thought right I'm going to speak to um, speak to a few people and sort of sound them out and see what they they you know how they felt about the idea and uh, one of those first people I spoke to as you'll remember Joe was you um, and uh, we we met up and I um, explained to you my uh, my my concept which you um which you were very supportive of and i do remember that it was um it was a uh a, a time in i think it was 2011 if i remember rightly and um we yeah we'd sort of said um i think we just had this yeah let's go and sit down and have a have a chat about it and um to me it was like I'm sure people have said this subsequently. It's like, God, isn't that a really good idea? Why hasn't anyone else thought of it? And that's, you know, that's the that's the sort of funny part of it is you kind of subsequently go, yeah, that, what, why, why, why didn't we think of that already? And I guess that's the best ideas when you think it's not, 
invented something, you think, well, what the hell is that going to do for anybody? It actually was something where it made sense. And I think if you remember, I'd already done some stuff for 220 where we'd looked at number belts. And so there was a little glimmer of, well, there's something going on back there. And that um, even even number belts were starting to look like there was, you know, better or worse ways of doing it from a triathlon perspective, let alone from a time trial perspective. So looking back, it's kind of obvious that, that pinning it is so, is so arcane. And now doing... Um, races more now you still see people that they're still pinning it's kind of the you know the the routine thing to do and in ultras people tend to pin their number down on their shorts so they've actually got it like wrapped around the top of their thigh and that's where they put the number mainly because where their chest area is they've got a um uh, a sort of vest with flasks and gels and and you know safety gear and stuff so they can't they haven't really got an open space on their chest to stick a number but there again there's a different placement for the number and i don't think there's any you know major innovation in in ultras needed but when that happened and you know you could start to see um well firstly where where did you really test it and it got got a certain buzz from people but also from you you thought that's just passed the test in terms of racing. Was there a particular race where you went that, you know, second, third, 23rd iteration of the, of the pocket that's really now got some legs. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it took, actually took, um, for, you know, we mentioned earlier on, it's, it's a very simple idea. Um, and it's like you say, one of those things that people go, well, why didn't somebody think of that before? Um, but it actually took a, a, it was a real challenge to get um, the idea off the ground. It was challenging to get people to help us to prototype something um, that we could, you know, that we could use and test. Um, and then when we finally came up with um, something that we, we thought we could, that would work, it was really a, a massive challenge again to try and get somebody to produce it. Um, so it wasn't really easy to get um to get the pocket off the ground and then maybe that's why you know somebody had never done it before because it actually took a lot of um investment from myself and other people to um to bring the bring the concept to life um but i remember to answer your question i remember the uh the first time that i thought yeah we've got this nailed this is this is you know uh, like a retailable product was um, at the uh, Barnstable Club 10, actually, and we just had uh, what is now the no-pin speed pocket. We'd managed to get somebody locally to fit um, a pocket into my skin suit, um, and I I used it, um, and Alex Dowsett happened to be down here on um, on holiday, um, and he was starting behind me in a bit of a bit of a, lo- a clash of the titans obviously he was going to beat me but it was uh, it was billed as a a clash of the local local hero which was me at the time and him um and he was like what's that and you know in your in on the back of your suit and i'm like oh it's a number my number pocket and he thought that was amazing um and i did the race did a, did my second ever best time on that course um and the pocket performed brilliantly obviously the number didn't fall off or anything and the and then the backup from uh, Alex, who was, um, you know, a top world tour uh, professional at the time, um, you know, and his interest uh, gave me um, added confidence that, um, that, you know, that we, that we were going somewhere with what we designed. 
Yeah, and that, that I guess, is a point where excitement starts to uh, starts to build. What was the, the pro rider seeing it? Um, and I can't remember this. What what was the first sort of pro big, um, almost like big link up, which may have been you know official, unofficial, may have been you know in I don't know in track on TTs or whatever. What where, where was it that it sort of went into pro tour or the pro ranks and it started to create a, a, a bit of a rumble? What what was that first team link up that you did? Uh, so we actually so we had we had two different products. If you uh, you probably don't remember, we had the, the stick on pockets, yeah. like yeah. the pin speed bonnets, and we had the no pin speed pocket. So um, Alex was uh, actually really interested in the uh, the stick on version to begin with, and we supplied him some units of that to use as he, he was part of the Movistar team at the time. Um, and then he actually ended up getting in a bit of trouble because it seemed like uh, their clothing sponsor at the time were also trying to develop something uh, to keep the numbers uh, nice and narrow and flat. Um, but that was the first time it sort of got used on the, um, you know, on the big stage, um, the speed one it that is. And then the speed pocket, uh, which is the, the pocket that's actually built into the suit. Um, that was first used uh, in the world tour by Lotto Jumbo in the Dauphiné in uh, 2015. Okay. Um, so that was the first um, uh, sort of like, you know, uh, unofficial use. Um, and then they went on to use it in the 2015 Tour de France, which was like our first, um, you know, I guess like major scoop for the pocket to be used in a race like that. So that so coming up to this um, this coming year's tour, that will be eight years on. Exactly. Yeah, eight years. Yeah. Um, and what, uh, providing you can say it, what what amount of teams officially or unofficially use the you know use the pockets where they get sewn into their kit? Is it is it across the board? Is it is it that there's um, some copycats is it um you know most but not all what what you know because they're looking at everything when you look at now from tour down under they're playing around with the you know the brake levers to get the riders hands in a bit yeah. more that you know they are they are never stopping do- they're, they're doing exactly what formula one does which is they will constantly reiterate something till they can find another half a percent and yeah. it would seem there clearly cannot be a team that is still in the time trial stages, still pinning their numbers? Surely not. There can't be anybody still pinning it. No, I think every single team has a number pocket of some sort now. Um, unfortunately, not all of them are ours. Like, there has been some, um, I won't say copying, but like um, some, yeah, you know, some, some uh, rival products come to the market. Um, but in the teams that are currently racing in the World Tour, it's uh, four or five are using the no pins, um, the no pin speed pocket version. Um, and then uh, like some of the leaders like Santini make a kit for the Tour de France. So the, uh, this, the um, Tour de France skin suit, for example, now has the no pins pocket in it because they're one of the people that we supply regularly, um, Santini. Um, and yeah, so that's pretty cool. Hmm. What what amount of difference with the you know with the club rider that that pins it on bad or or horrendously what what amount of difference would they notice in terms of you know what's from a from a you know a really good pocket that's uh, 
that encases their number versus pinned rightly or wrongly? Uh, so it depends how badly pinned the number is. Obviously, like the worse that you know, the the, the worse it is, the more uh, the more it acts like a little parachute on your on your backside. Um, so I mean, but eight to ten watts was um, uh, what we tested it at when we um, you know did testing in the wind tunnel, and then subsequently with um, Xavier from Aero Coach. Um, so having the number pocket. Um, versus a, a poorly pinned number was eight to ten watts, um, and then also, obviously you've got the saving of hassle and the um, saving of your suit because you don't damage your suit with pins anymore. So, um, so they're the other upsides. Yeah, because there's something about and that going back to that uh, that scenario said in running where people are still pinning it. The first running race, I like suddenly thought having having sort of done the, you know the time trial pocket thing from the point where I could get one sewn in. So, oh, I want one of those. That's good. I'll do that. And then suddenly thinking, this is a new running vest. I'm sticking a pin in it. It's really, um, it's really strange to think you're going backwards in time and you start pinning things on. And so I've in, in ultras and in races now, I've just got the, the triathlon belt, which is, you know, a belt with the, with the clear pocket on. And I'd rather run with that in a pocket than start sticking pins in. It's kind of a, I guess it's a weird thing. Some people may not, mind their, their kit looking like the uh, moths have had a go at it but once people are doing this like all other things you can't see them going backwards although there seems to have been a bit of a backward step by the UCI and their their pinning and pocket rules tell us about that because I only saw it briefly in the news and didn't know what was going on what what's happened at the UCI level with um pockets in the road stages yeah so um uh we you know nopens originally started in um in the time trialing uh world but then we quickly realized that we could also put pockets in um suits for the road stages so we were like one of the first um companies to start uh you know building road suits with uh with number pockets in um and like uh, like all good ideas uh, lots of uh, lots of other people have cottoned on to um you know this fact so um Unfortunately, we've had like various um, versions of pocket appear um, in road racing and some of them not very well thought out. So um, you've had like, for example, really dark and quite thick meshes being put on the back of, um, you know, the feed pockets. And that's where the the riders have been uh, putting the numbers behind. So uh, obviously the numbers have been obscured and it's caused um, caused an issue for the um, UCI, um, mainly with commissaires not being able to read the um, read the numbers. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, they um, for this season uh, they've uh, implemented um, a blanket ban for bunch events only. So it's only if you're um, you know a road a road stage or um, doing the UCI Grand Fondo uh, or something like that. That you can't um, use uh, a number pocket of any kind, um, uh, yeah, for the bunch events. So um, yeah, so a bit of a bit of a pain um, because it's yeah, sort of we've been um, affected by other products, um, and but until they can sort it out and um, either develop a, like a standard where, that they're happy with, a bit like the frames or um, wheels, yeah. whatever. Um, they've had to do, um, or they, they've decided to do a, a blanket uh, ban on the use of the pockets. Right. And and you see that the more, um, 
generally the more that the uh i guess rules start to hone in on an area the more that you know frames used to have a fairly you know generalized concept and now they've been loosened uh but they have um they've you know they've sort of still got very very particular and yet the you know the number rules i can remember you and i sort of reading number rules and they were you know they were so open to just you know a fairly generalized interpretation that even you know for the time trialists that are in the uk there was just this picture of a rider bent over saying the number should be here and that was it you know that was that was quite literally it whereas now i'm sure um certainly in many sports you know there's a standardization of number where there's things that relate to um sponsors the sponsors can only have so many you know so many inches of space and the number has to be this that and the other and yet almost you opened a can of worms by the very fact that you know you started down that road of saying we can optimize it because then somebody else is going to reiterate it wrong but also it's going to put the focus on oh that particular part of the rider has, has moved ahead now it's not everyone just pins it and we can look back you know whether it's the you know the 60s the 80s even the early 2000s we can just see various good bad or indifferent ways in which people were pinning it sometimes you know there was a there was probably enough pins in the number to make a difference to the weight of the rider there were so many pins they were sticking them on with i mean it was it was just everybody had their way but i guess this standardization would at least allow you to know that the pockets on the back of the lower part of the jersey were doing what you wanted them to do which was to encapsulate the number but still be visible because it must make a difference again it's still at the lower back that must make a difference have you ever been able to measure the difference that the pockets might make on the uh, on the sort of food pocket area uh we've not actually taken the road suit um to the tunnel and tested the pockets there but um yeah i mean it, again it all comes down to how badly the numbers are pinned and if they're hanging off flapping around i mean obviously mm. you can uh keep that uh keep the number flat and it's consistent and not you know um that's that's the sort of best scenario for the road suits um and it's also just the um the ease of um you know the ease of putting the numbers in pockets i know alex said to me um alex doubt at this is he said to me that like towards the end of a grand, a grand tour, everything becomes like an effort because you're so fatigued. Like, so if you don't have to spend 15 minutes trimming your numbers down and pinning them on, then that's another sort of effort saved. Um, yeah. And yeah. you think to yourself, like, surely that can't be like hard work. But then after three weeks of 100 mile days, um, you, can, you can actually think to yourself, Do you know what, it probably is. Like, it, is, it does become, you know, hard work and it does become a pain and you know so like even you know that was another you know reason that the teams liked having the you know liked having the number pockets on the back of the uh, road suits um just just for ease for the riders really all right yes this the simplification of it yeah i i found with certainly with the long course um actually with some of the ultra runners that use the the um the number belt but also with triathletes is their number was very visible it didn't get rubbed off or bent over and they said they got encouraged because people could see the numbers whereas if somebody's folds over or they deliberately make it um you know they, they shove it down the side of their shorts or whatever and people can't see it 
numbers in triathlons often have their name as well. So, so a random stranger can shout, oh, go on, Blake, because they can see the name. Yeah. And one of the indirect, though, you know, how much does somebody shouting your name actually make a difference? It probably does make a difference. Again, when you're fatigued, somebody shouting your name and encouraging you is better than go on number one, four, five, six, two. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's, probably <laughs> ni- it's probably nicer to hear your own name. I've never seen the research, but I'd imagine along with lots of psychology, there's an inherent possibility that, that you know, visibility of number first is a, you know, is a legal requirement, though it's very rare in a lot of sports that people actually get, um, you know, get uh, penalised. How many times have we seen sprinters start the 100 or 200 and the, the numbers shoot off within seconds and yet yeah. nobody actually ever gets penalised for it? And you think either those numbers are totally useless and they mm-hmm. just do it, they just do it because they've always put a number on or actually the moment somebody would put that ruling into action, suddenly people go right we need you know again we need a tiny pocket to slip it in down the side of the shorts it's not gonna it's not gonna go because the moment you had a sprinter lose a you know 200 meters um uh you know um i don't know uh some kind of olympic final commonwealth or whatever if they lost it because the number fell off suddenly numbers would start to be seen as white we need to solve that problem because we've just had somebody um lose uh, you know lose a race what what's the you know you must have looked into this what's the worst you've heard from the point of view of penalization of numbers have you found out that you know somebody's come to you because they've their team or their you know their particular um performance was was nullified because of a, a number loss has that ever happened um i've heard well m- more so like you know you have to remember with the the world tour and the pros like very often they have timing um devices and all that sort of stuff as well yeah, yeah, losing, losing losing the number like uh isn't great from like a commissaire point of view but they are still going to get like a time and a finishing position um whereas in like you know cycling time trials in the uk it's very rare that you have a timing chip and i have heard of um uh, numbers falling out of uh, pockets of rival brands that haven't been quite so well designed and then obviously the person's crossed the line and not got a time because um, they yeah their number's not there and, they, and, and the person sitting there with the clipboard doesn't know who they are um, so yes I mean that's sort of the worst I've heard um, you know with uh, with people losing their numbers um, or it getting you know being uh, damaged or whatever that you know the, the worst case scenario is you're probably not going to get a time when you when you cross the finishing line which is going to be uh, very frustrating for that individual so. yeah yeah and and so you know so many sports do have um chip timing both for positioning um there's a lot of legals now because um there's a, there's a brilliant website i'll send it to you afterwards that you see like people have been caught cheating you know they haven't done they haven't done the out and back in their Ironman or they did a quick, they did a quick scoop on the, uh, on the underground and popped up somewhere and then, and then run, um, run part of the course. And of course, a number is pretty difficult um, to capture that even on, even on cameras because somebody can run behind somebody else and not be seen on camera. Whereas a mat that goes right across the floor picks people up. And if they didn't pass this point and this point, but they suddenly appeared at this point, then you know they check back on footage and go that person was cheated. I guess with numbers, there's still that sense that people they like to be identified by their number. You know, if you if you put a, a, a chip on, 
in some in some races now, certainly Ironman level, they don't even ask them to have a number belt on on the bike because they've got a number sometimes on their arm that's been mm-hmm. stuck on in a in a sort of decal. Um, they have got one on their ankle, and it's uh, it's it's not uh, that they have one on the bike. But there's so many numbers there. They're like, we don't need a we don't need a number on the mm-hmm. on the athlete to have a to have a, a an actual number belt. And one year, I can't remember what year, can't remember the, the female athlete, but a female athlete was leading and she had a number belt on. And, and suddenly the, the, uh, the commentators were like, she doesn't actually need that number belt on. She's actually got some drag there that she doesn't, um, you know, doesn't need because you don't need one. You've got, mm. you know, the rules, the rules don't stay. And uh, people love the comfort of the belt when they're running because there's no buckles and there's, there's no sort of um, uh, adjusting fasteners and so on. But increasingly there are races where you know they're, they're just dropping the the number belt and i guess you know numbers will always be part of what people take from an event but they sort of almost need to use it properly to be seen to have the pictures taken you know crossing a certain point in their london marathon or whatever that number still has to be visible and yet you know there are plenty of people that almost think the number is irrelevant either because they've got a chip or because they think in some weird way it's going to slow them down yeah um, yeah. If you if you if you at the moment go off you go out on your bike, are you still thinking about something to do with the, you know the, the clothing or the fit of your socks or how comfortable the chamois is in your shorts or stuff like that? Do you ever stop thinking about it, or do you think to some degree it pops up only when you register that there's an issue with the products that you're wearing? Um, no, I'm always um, like. I think once you, yeah, I'm always innovating stuff and I am, you know, I do ride myself. Um, so I'm, I'm always uh, critiquing the the stuff we we make and, and wanting to make it better. Um, so there's always, you know, there's always that side to existing products. Um, but I mean, in terms of like new ideas, um, like something like Sub-Zero would be, you know, the thing that pops to mind, like the indoor training kit that we made with the, with the ice packs for cooling. I mean, that came about from, um, you know, me being a massive uh, overheater on the turbo train. I always overheat. Um, if I fail a session, it's usually because I've overheated. That's even using a fan um, and trying to keep the, the room cool. Um, so I was thinking to myself, you know, is there any way I could like build in like some ice packs into, into you know, into a kit? And that's where the, yeah. the Sub-Zero kit came from. So I guess, you know, from... Uh, racing riding training um you're always uh thinking about the the kit you're using is there ways you can improve it um and then in sometimes come and sometimes you come up with radical new ideas for something new altogether so yeah Yeah. um the the sub the sub zero i like it how it's really really loose has anyone asked that to be like an ice vest a kind of sub-zero vest that they put on because because surely ideas sometimes come and, and just hit you from other people that said what about could you do this and sometimes it's like well no it's not but you know do you do you sense that we've only started to sort of scratch what we're doing with clothing or do you think it's only like small increments of of fabric um kind of changes do you think there's much more because with bikes They've almost hit the buffers. The changes of improvements in wattage now, people are, you know, talking small numbers between iterations of the bike. But have we got to that point yet with clothing or is there still some big chunks that we can get with 
thermoregulation with aerodynamics of comfort. Do you think there's much more to come? Uh, I mean, it comes down to, like you mentioned, fabrics earlier on. I think it comes down a lot to the technology of fabrics as well, um, because, you know, something new comes out and it completely upsets the the apple cart so what you thought was the fastest and the best is is no longer the fastest and the best and then you'll you, maybe a new material comes out and that allows you to you know do something that you wanted to do ages ago but couldn't i mean in terms i mean like something like graphene in in bike frames or something like that yeah uh, and then you've also got like the rule makers that we mentioned earlier on like the uci obviously every year they change the rules um so you know, a, a bike manufacturer might have optimized their bike, you know, to the nth degree. And then the next year, the um, UCI changed the rules and you can have bigger, bigger tubes and stuff like that, which you couldn't have before. Um, and it's the same with clothing. I mean, um, the rules are constantly changing with clothing, what, what materials can and can't be used. Um, but I think clothing is like a relatively new frontier where people have really started to look at that as a big gain now um, and I think in the last three or four years we've seen a massive acceleration in um, you know the aerodynamic efficiency of clothing and I, I think there's still more to come. So. Okay okay um, where, where or what can you say is happening in 2023 is there anything you know obviously you can't spill the beans about anything but is there is there a general trend or something that you think because of of rule changes or fabrics or something is there something coming down the pipeline that's that's not a big secret but you generally think is um is not already taken up by athletes you know is it is it the longer sleeve tri suit is it people you know getting 3d um scanned where, where where's the big if there is such a thing as a big marginal game, but where, where do you think most people should be looking or might look now in order to improve what they've already got? Um, so from our point of view, I mean, product wise this year, we've, we're just about to, I'm actually sat here looking at my desk at 10 different prototypes um, of uh, aero base layer. I mean, that's something that a couple of other companies have, um, have done in the last, the last year or so. Um, but we've got our version of the aero base layer coming out. Um, so yeah. that's the, a textured uh, base layer that you can wear under a skin suit to, um, uh, you know, to further Im improve the um, the aerodynamic properties of it. Um, yeah. Product that we've got coming out for this year, and then I think like overall as an industry, I think that the thermo regulation is a is a massive thing, and I think people are really starting to um, look at that now. And you know, I hear of um, well tour riders that are pre-cooling like um before they even warm up they're they're pre-cooling to try and get their core temperature as low as possible um so that when they get into the uh the meat and bones of the event they you know they warm up you know as, as they go rather than going into it hot um so yeah because there's a difference between having warm muscles and a warm core um so i think thermo regulation is is something that we're going to see um, develop massively in the coming um, in the coming few years. Oh right, yeah. It's I guess it's one of those um, taken for granted that you know we assume everything is is cooler and breathes better. But um, 
how much it's difficult for anybody to attain in their own, you know, how people are, are expert looking at things and think things are aero and we can't work it out. We can work out something's lighter because we've all got scales and we can say, oh, that's lighter than that. But but aero and definitely thermal regulation, you think that really takes some uh, some analysis to look at it and say, wow, that's, uh, that's uh, better than what we've had uh, before. So what... Um, what what do you think is necessary, say, for the particular group like triathletes? What are triathletes missing that they should be looking at in terms of the uh, the, the sort of no pins brand and the direction that their um, aerodynamic uh, challenges are? What 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 do you think they miss, or what or what do you think is increasingly seen as something that people are getting? Um, I guess it's the, the, the more aerodynamic tri-suits. I mean, obviously in, in um, triathlon, it's a, it's a balance between, um, you know, something that's uh, aerodynamic um, that you can actually then stand up in and, and run in and uh, potentially swim in as well. Um, but you see more and more people, I think, going towards the long course style suits where um, you've got more, uh, more of the body covered with fabric, um, which tends to be, uh, more aerodynamic and then i think like also we took you know we talked about the thermoregulation a minute ago i think that that's you know becoming pretty um important as well you know we had a lot of people this year that were going to kona wanting us, wanting us to make um special you know special suits for them with uh various ice pockets and stuff so they could you know they could put additional ice down their uh, backs and um in, in various places to try and keep themselves cool um, so I think, you know, um, in general, the, you know, triathletes are, are becoming, um, you know, not, not the top end because the pointy end, like, you know, they're all looking for the marginal gains, but your age group athlete are becoming more aware of the importance of the aerodynamics, the cooling, mm. um, like those sorts of things. Yeah. And, and although people may not think about it, the, um, not the weaker riders, but just people that put out less watts and the, they're on the bike for longer therefore they fight the drag if there's a 20 mile an hour headwind on a course they fight that wind for a greater period of time than the professional athletes and the professional athletes have more watts to play with because they're a professional and they you know they can produce the watts and that's why i think whenever i hear it i, I pull people up on it when they sort of say yeah but I'm not really fast enough to sort of look at that stuff and it's like yeah but one of the reasons why you're not faster is you've got your you know, your flappy clothing and your bike is covered with, you know, enough stuff that you look like you're coming home from Tesco's rather than doing a race. I mean, your bike's covered in, in, in rubbish. We all fight the wind on a bike and therefore actually anything you can do to reduce drag, who wants to go out there and say, I'm wasting energy. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, if you are, then you're out there for value for money and you've got, um, you've got a, a sense that you don't really worry about the finish time. But I think if people can see, where they can make an improvement every time they save watts, they either save carbohydrate or they save time or they save themselves being in a certain direction, fighting the wind for a little bit less time than when they get the uh, opposite direction and the wind pushes them. I think that's, that's the thing is that nobody ever has got enough power to ignore the, um, the, the watts that are being dragged away by, uh, by the, uh, the, yeah. the, the swirling winds and so forth. I think you need. I think you need to look at it in percentage terms. For me, that's what you know. Like, so if you're a rider that's putting out 200 watts at threshold, for example, and then you're giving away eight to ten watts with your 
uh, parachute number on your back, um, you know, and then you and then you look at a ride that's doing 400 watts and they're giving away eight to 10 watts. You know, obviously the percentage doubles, so the percentage saving for somebody who's doing 200 watts and then they save that eight to 10 watts is double what it is for um, somebody who's doing 400 watts. Um, so, yeah, you need to look at it in a, from a percentage point of view, I think. Um, so, therefore, you know, the less, like you said, the less watts you've got, um, that saving means more to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, hey, we look back 10 years, look back 20 years, and you look at the, the clothing and the bike improvements, and, and everyone at every era thinks they're aero, and perhaps there's a bit more understanding now that probably people are a bit more, but difficult to look at somebody and say yes or no but it's really moved on and i think that if somebody's got a lot of slightly um slightly previous technology should we call it actually there can be some quite astounding changes in their bike spits but they don't see um that they're working any harder they have just saved considerable energy and you know the same for for time trialists and I guess there's a there's an obsession with time trialing. Um, you know, we've been there, we've seen it. You can see how much people are being pedantic about the last little bit. But when it comes down to it, it's a distance and a time. You know, nobody pats you on the back and says, "Oh, well done for doing ten miles." They said, "Oh, you know, was it a course best? Was it a PB? You know, yeah. did you beat did you beat your rival or whatever?" Triathlon. I always think, particularly from a coaching perspective, is the bike leg is the area where you want to be the most efficient yes you want to get to your transition number two and get on to the run leg as quickly as possible but at the same time you're trying to save your run legs by being as aero and as efficient as possible and you can't push ever harder or you will affect your bike um split what looks like positively but actually it will affect your run split negatively but also there were so many gains because the rules within triathlon, even the frames you can use and so forth, you know, they're, they're very, very open. And hence it's been a great area of, of much innovation, but also the kit, you know, now it's pretty much most people have the, you know, the, the tri suits down to the elbow and they have, you know, probably have got calf guards that are aerodynamic, um, and everyone's got an aero helmet etc etc and i think that's one of the beauties that the rules seem to be very very um very open they don't seem to they've only recently said that the running shoes can't be more than 40 millimeters um thick at the bottom there was one used that was 50 millimeters last year yeah. and they suddenly said right we've got to put a you know put a stop to that mm-hmm. but aside from that any, anything uh, anything goes so there doesn't seem to be much changing in 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 that area what about the sportive rider you know do do you see that moving into people that are into sportives having more aero kit even more aero um bad conditions kit if you like kit that doesn't look like a classic you know really thin skin suit people that go into it with aero clothing but is geared for really harsh weathers uh yeah i mean um just from my own experience this year at the, um, I did the, the Grand Fondo, um, did a couple of Grand Fondo World Series qualifiers, and then I also went to the Grand Fondo Worlds, and it was, um, it was, it amazed me like how, um, how you know everybody at the, you know, well, not everybody, but everyone that wanted to like qualify um, at like the Tour of Cambridgeshire, for example, they were all in skin suits, or you know, pretty much yeah. all of them had aero socks. 
they all had some sort of aero road helmet they all had deep section wheels and like a you know a, a lightweight aero framed bike so everyone was um you know thinking like they they want to go as fast as possible um and they've you know they've cottoned on to the fact that um wearing a skin suit is going to be better than a flappy um than a flappy uh jersey and then even um like you know at the worlds um we i i I was lucky to have good weather all year but you know people are wearing sort of um you know sort of aero fit um capes and um aero fit gilets and you know all that sort of stuff so it's not you know people don't want to give away uh what's to a flapping to a flapping uh jacket or top you know so um yes i think this the world of sportives are also cottoning on to um, if you want to get, you know, get that gold or go from A to B faster, then being aero is a good way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, your ambassadors, your pictures all over the place. What will we see happen in the next few months or what's 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 bubbling to the surface now with um, with the, the brand? Brands are always, you know, lining up with people or having something uh, something pop out into the marketplace what's going on in the next three months if you can show us the crystal ball yeah so um we've um just partnered um we've met we mentioned alex a couple of times in this call already um alex is like a long time a long-term um friend since um we initially met um uh down here cycling uh back in like 2012 um and um he's come on board as a as a brand ambassador and a shareholder and um he's going to be in like an uh, r&d uh role um specifically um you know with you know i say specifically like more towards the aero side of things but also advising on uh developing the other kit um you know obviously he's used a lot of kit over over the years and he's learned a lot in his uh hundreds of trips to the wind tunnels um so yeah, his knowledge is going to be uh, invaluable in some of the new products we're coming up with. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, alongside that, we've also got a try um, a try range that we're working on. And we're doing some work on that with Tim Don, um, who, yeah, I'm sure your listeners will know who he is. Um, so, yes, we've got some exciting stuff going on. Brills, brills. And uh, I, I spotted earlier, if people want to listen to uh, another podcast that you're on, you were on the Cycling Time Club podcast, uh, February 2020, um, their number 136. Mm. I uh, I don't know that I've listened to that. I must go back to listen to that, actually. Um, yeah, I, mean, uh, I don't I don't really don't like doing podcasts. So you've managed, so you've managed to drag me onto this, kicking me <laughs> screen, to be honest. But yeah, <laughs> I won't listen to myself. Um, but you have envelope of course i know how much work you've done because uh i i was uh, around uh, the, the the place when you were um, first innovating this and i think it's right just really right and proper to say you know you, you've pushed ahead with these things and it's great you know we've got like you said when we did the preamble blind it would have been good to have had you know the technology now uh yeah 10 years ago or whenever and that's always the thing is that i think people must look back that are ever pros and look back and think, oh, wow, how much further, you know, would my hour record have been? Or, wow, God, I'm sure I could have run faster in those shoes if I'd had them. That's always a case with innovation. It's it's constantly nudging forward through, you know, trial and error and innovation and, 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 and sometimes, you know, almost accidental things happen that people innovate and say, oh, that works, right, we're going to do that. 
so um yeah i think i think from all the people that have uh, fought the wind a little bit less or gone a little bit quicker i think there's a big thank you because i think there's been one of these uh things that if you uh seen how far it's gone from the very early stick on pockets through to the actual sewing pockets and 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 thereafter actually there's a lot of watts that you're uh saving i don't think it's 1.21 gigawatts or whatever the uh so-called back to the future number is but it's certainly a lot of watts you've saved and i think there's a lot of people out there that perhaps haven't even realized they've still got something to uh to actually uh actually save when they're riding against the clock and a time trial yeah doing a sport even trying to save energy um doing triathlons there's there's a lot of potential areas where the the kit function the you know the 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 kind of the feel-good fact of wearing kit that fits really well i think can never be underestimated it's probably where people can probably feel like they've got their you know their ultimate advantages i've got my race kit on because that's a good feeling yeah, it's like having your legs shaved, isn't it? Like for a, uh, you know, like when you're ready for race season, you get your legs shaved up, you sort of feel like you're ready to, ready to go. And I, yeah, you put the you put the aero skin suit on, you know, for the time trial, and you feel like you're in business, don't you? Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and I think one of one of my sort of proudest things with no pins is I think we've made aero kit quite accessible. Um, to everybody, I think we were one of the sort of first people to do that. Like a lot of other brands had some aero stuff but either it wasn't released because they were just keeping it back for the pro teams or when it was released it was like stupidly expensive um and i feel like you know we've um we make good quality aero kit that's you know um affordable for people as well um so yeah that's one of the one of the coolest things when you go to a go to an event and you see like loads of everyone wearing your aero socks or your um or your aero suits it's uh yeah it's it's a good feeling that you're helping people go faster yeah, so more more uh, more aero uh, products to come, and uh, hopefully this will start to uh, get people to to sort of think about it. Because in any performance, do you really want to look back and go, "Oh, well, I could have gone quicker," but you know, I didn't I didn't use my I don't know my you know my aerodynamic helmet or my energy drink or my carbo loading. I think we can all be not dragged into but we can all look at the aggregation of those small margins of if you can do this and do this and do this actually it does build up because we can look back at the science and say okay not everything is you know some things are said to be bigger than what they are but i think clothing is still to my mind it's still a thing that if people actually realize what the best clothing could do for them they they would obviously you know look at it and say that's that's what i want but there are bigger things maybe it's the the disc wheel or the you know super fast shoes or something else that all of them may stack on top of one another to make a difference but i do think clothing is perhaps not as at the forefront of people's uh thoughts and you know can i can i improve on what i had two three years ago and, and is there you know is there an increment of improvement and i'd always say yes there is they've, they've got to be whether it's a you know, a 3D suit that really fits them well and is and is ultra comfortable, or is it that they actually yeah, think about, uh, particularly when it comes on stream, and it'd be exciting to see, you know, these uh, these aero base layers or things that give better thermal regulation. Um, so yeah, exciting things on the horizon, then, mate. Yeah, definitely, mate, definitely. And I think um, you know, like you just touched on there, like pound pound per watt saved. It's definitely uh, clothing, and if you were going to um 
if you were going to uh you know invest in something after this sort of podcast to to go to go faster it's aero socks really um it's like or or, or shoe covers or calf guards they're you know re- they're relatively cheap products and they save you a huge amount of um huge amount aerodynamically so yeah you but you know added ideally build yourself a um build yourself all the gains together you can so like joe was saying the, the bikes the wheels that you know the the beetroot loading the everything that's when you get your peak performance yeah so. yeah and that that that's that's what we want and to look back and to say at that point in time i couldn't have done much more is 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 great i always say to people about the four minute mile people worked out that you know there was there was pace setters that got Roger Bannister to the right place for him to take over the you know the final lap. He had special shoes made that at that point in time were as cutting edge as anybody else was wearing. They even waited till the wind dropped at just the right time to do that particular um, one mile race. And so there's always been this sense that people look to stack things on top of yes other people's improvements and other people's ideas and i think if you can be open-minded like that sometimes you you may clearly have to invest in it but you know clothing is not the most expensive thing to have but but why not maximize what you can do and on a bike you are fighting the wind so why fight the wind is uh, as, as 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 much as you previously have why not go a little bit quicker so so as a big 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 thank you thank you mate this has been so nice to you know to put this down i don't think that uh, some of these things you've ever even said it's you know it's nice to hear the uh, the, the background and the the innovations that are happening and the you know the ambassadors and it's it's still growing so great to see and thank you uh, thank you so much and as i said earlier there is the the one at the cycling time trials podcast that you can see which you did in uh, in feb 2020 it's their number 136 so uh, yeah there's another place where where they can they can hear your your words of wisdom yeah no, thank you joe I'm, I'm not sure i thank you for advertising uh, more of my words of wisdom but um yeah it's been great to be on the um the podcast with you and uh yeah catch up with you as a friend as well as um yeah talk about aero stuff so Cool. Yeah. Okay. So check out the No Pins website for people that are not aware of the correct spelling. It's N O P I N Z, and look there for your more efficient 2023. See if there's uh, some uh, drag reduction things that you can get hold of. And uh, once again, Blake, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah. Cheers, mate. Thanks a lot. Okay.